Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here for the second in a series of that one play. This is looking at one play in Ravens history and from the perspective of an individual fan and, and joining me today to talk about one play in particular is Jamie Smith. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me. All right. Really looking forward to this because y- you had a great choice, great reasoning behind the choice. Our production meeting, I, I can tell you really know your stuff, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. But tell folks where they can find you and talk football online. Uh, I'm at on email, I'm at ravens at gmail.com. 
And on Twitter, I'm at FoxForceFlacco. Okay, so the Ravens at gmail.com, somebody who got in early yeah. <laughs> the Gmail phenomenon and knew what he, what he wanted exactly. That's uh, that's pretty cool. We talked about that a little bit. The Ravens have not tried to buy that Gmail address from you. No, but I uh, I get some resumes from time to time from people that think they're trying to apply for a job with, with the team. <laughs> <laughs> that must be good. I have no coaching experience, but I just need a chance. Yeah, uh, We're going to talk about, in particular, well, you tell us what we're going to be talking about. I'm going to talk about a play in the fourth quarter of a blowout, a Ravens blowout victory, December 5th, 1999, when they beat the Titans uh, 41 to 14. And Rod Woodson intercepted a Steve McNair pass and ran it back for a, a touchdown. All right. So that play, if folks don't remember it, it, it started a four game winning streak at the end of 1999 that, in a lot of ways, was the start of the dynasty. That game in particular, I've often cited as one of the greatest games individually that the Ravens have ever played. It's up there with Super Bowl 35, which is boring an answer as that is. That's one of the most dominant performances in Ravens history. And there have been a few others, of course, as well. But, but that one in particular was fairly astounding. I remember going from a group of people from work who were from all over the country and just being amazed and say, they've never played a game this good. What's going on here? You know, and we'd suffered through a lot in 1999 in the early part of the season. Talk about this very, very briefly as part of the setup, Jamie. But what, what's your primary recollection of the 1999 season? Prior well, the excitement about Brian Billick coming in, and it kind of felt like a new era. You know, March and Broder was kind of the old Colts holdover, and it kind of felt like we were going to have a, a new high-flying offensive, you know, extravaganza. And it didn't really work out that way. We were four and seven in December, and it just kind of felt like more of the same old, same old. Yeah, f- five and seven entering that game, right? Five. I think four no, and no, seven. you're right. Four and seven. Four and seven. You're right. Um, so it was Brian Billick's first season. They, of course, started that season on the road against a team of nobodies. They have the Rams on the road with Kurt Warner. I mean, a rookie grocery bagger of a quarterback. Why the hell couldn't they beat these guys, you know, with their new quarterback? Yeah, when they lost that game, it was so disappointing because we thought, right, he was a third string guy from the, you know, <laughs> the indoor football league. And we had Billick, this great new coach. And it just kind of, that was a really demoralizing start to the season. It sure was. And Scott Mitchell, of course, the quarterback for those first two games. I still kind of blame Scott Mitchell in a way for not getting the 1999 Ravens to the playoffs. Scott Mitchell, of course, got hurt, replaced by the great Stoney Case, who was one of the worst quarterbacks in Ravens history. Uh, his two and two record is an absolute lie. He was terrible, um, but uh, but he was gone uh, in in reasonable uh, a reasonable amount of time. And I, I, he, I think he lasted through that 35 to eight loss to the Chiefs. Do you remember that game on Thursday night? Yeah. Just humiliating at home. Oh yeah. And that that was when Billick said, take a leap of faith. And that was really kind of that hung around his neck for a while then, because he, he kind of, people were questioning the quarterback choices and he said, well, take a leap of faith. And then all the quarterbacks played so poorly, it kind of came back to haunt him a little bit. Yeah. And, and the guy who ended up being the problem in 2000 was the solution in 1999. Amazingly, that was Tony Banks who came in and played very well at the end of the 1999 season was a, was a significant catalyst in the four game winning streak in particular but uh, played about the last eight games. And there were, there, there were his moments, and we go over there and them in other episodes. But he finally stabilized that position. So they entered this game against the Titans on December 5th at 4-7. and seven. To set it up, the Titans, oh, they're terrible also. They, you know, <laughs> we lost to them 14-11 to 11 in, uh, I can't even remember if it was in Memphis or some other place where, where they were playing at that time. But, but it was, I think it was Nashville they, they were in. But it was before Delphia had opened. That's right. And 
and had lost them 14 to 11 there. And, and they went into this game against the, against the Titans, uh, you know, ho- hoping to, to get something started. They, the, the actually Titans led three to nothing early. The Ravens took over and led 17 to 14 at the half, uh, where the Titans had, had, uh, closed right at the end of the half to within that uh tell us about what happened in the second half well you know the thing with the titans is they had just gotten good and uh, as a matter of fact it turned out that they were on an 11 game streak uh that the only other loss they had was the super bowl to the rams again it was the only game they lost during that streak was to the ravens so they came in a hot team kind of fighting jacksonville for um the division the old six team you know afc central i guess it was right Mm -hmm. and then so they were a hot team. The Ravens were struggling. They were on a two and five streak. And we thought it was just going to be kind of playing out the string and looking ahead to the next season. It was a early December home game, kind of a warm December day. And you couldn't believe what was happening just because the Ravens in that second half just caught fire. And Tony Banks had a great game. Jermaine Lewis, who had struggled, had lost his starting wide receiver job to Patrick Johnson, played well. And, um, and Priest Holmes got back into the lineup kind of along with Eric Rett. So there were some kind of hints of what was to come, but um, it was the defense really that was, you know, the unveiling of, of who became the, the boys of Baltimore, you know, 14 months later, holding up the Super Bowl trophy. And it's, to me, it's kind of where it all started. Yeah, it, very much. And that, that four-game winning streak in 1999 was an absolutely dominant period in Ravens history. And just to remind you of those, those four wins – they beat Tennessee 41 to 14. Then they beat Pittsburgh 31 24. And that was the game where Cadre Ishmael went off for 258 yards. Then they beat the Saints 31 to 8. Saints weren't particularly good at the time. Of course, I think Aaron Brooks might have been a quarterback at that point. And then they beat the Bengals 22 to nothing for what was the first shutout in Ravens history at that point. Hard to believe that there'd never been one previously. And the wild thing to me, looking back at this, when they went into the when the Ravens went into that game, their franchise record was 20, 38 and one all time. So about a 333 winning percentage. Mm-hmm. They would starting with this game would go 20 and five, culminating with the Super Bowl win over the Giants. So just an absolute 180 degree turn that I, I don't think anybody saw coming, really. Um, yeah, but it turned out to be a great moment. And at the game, it's kind of the reason the Woodson play sticks in my mind is because they were winning the game and it was a lot of fun, an unexpected win. But then when he picked that off and ran it back, you kind of felt like for the first time, hey, these guys are good. You know, yeah. there's teams, and the Woodson, you know, TD was kind of the the cherry on top of that whole Sunday. I felt I felt very similarly like that that point really in 1999. I guess there might have been an earlier point in 1999, like to start the season. But that point in 1999 was the first time I would go to games after after that and really think they're going to win. They they should win this game. And and before that, you know, I was I was happy to be entertained. I was enjoying the, the you know having football back in town. You know, I, I was I was enjoying the fact that the Ravens were young and building something. I thought, but the Ravens also had had a bunch of cap issues, which were kind of invisible to me at the time. I didn't really understand that or really follow it at the time but uh but they, they were really built to win now even then well and it's interesting we talked about this a little bit beforehand that uh woodson came over from the the steelers and in, in 98 as a cornerback but he's they kind of pittsburgh kind of felt like he was washed up you know here he was a guy who'd just been named the nfl 75th anniversary all-time team as a starting cornerback and they kind of let him go so the ravens got him in 98 and they played him at corner and he was okay they drafted Dwayne Starks with the number one, uh, the number 10 pick in 98. 
And then in 99, they drafted Chris McAllister, again, with the number 10 pick. So here have two top 10 cornerbacks, first and second year players. And that's when they moved uh, Woodson to free safety. And he took them. I think I, I never heard any drama about, you know, losing the corner cornerback position. He seemed fine with it. And yet the, the defensive backfield hadn't necessarily played that well yet. And even he as a free safety, it was definitely an adjustment period for him. He'd always been a corner for, you know, 10, 12 years. And so he had to learn the game and uh, the new position. And this game, that, that touchdown play really showed to me that he had now mastered free safety. He wasn't a cornerback kind of faking it anymore. He was a legit NFL free safety. Yeah, he, he had six interceptions his first year as a corner with the Ravens. And then he led the NFL with seven interceptions in 1999. So he, he terrific player. I mean, just a great player. The, the Steelers obviously gave up on him much too early. So it's seven good seasons left uh, after that. And most of that, the the Ravens uh, uh, really drank the nectar there in terms of the, the, the best seasons there with uh, with their their rise. Yeah, I, I love the fact that, you know, you can stick it to Steelers fans a little bit that Rod got his only Super Bowl ring with the Ravens and yeah. in black and gold. It's kind of a nice little. That, that is that is very game. nice. They don't in the NFL, they don't go in as a particular team. You know, you don't you don't wear the jersey of a team. And I think Woodson still maybe identifies more as a Steeler than as a Raven, but he's done Ravens events. He's you know, he's he's uh, he done things. I, I believe he may still live in the Pittsburgh area because I know he owns car dealerships there. He's been the the third guy in the booth on some of the uh, game uh, game broadcasts in the last year or two. Okay, well, maybe that's uh, maybe uh, maybe I'm not just up to date with that anyway. But uh, he was at the 20th anniversary uh, event uh, a couple of years ago when uh, it's a couple of years ago now, I guess, uh, where the where all the guys were together on stage uh, talking about the, the the first Super Bowl. So that was uh, that was really neat. That was a that was a great event. Might not have been two years ago now, because that might have been during the pandemic, so it might have gotten delayed a little bit. But either way, great event to have those guys around talking. It was the last time I think Syracuse might have been seen publicly is is you know that event and and uh, and him talking about it. But uh, interesting group of characters, certainly. Talk about uh, the, the play a little bit itself. Talk about that. Sure. So so it was as we said, thirty four fourteen. About five minutes left in the fourth quarter. The game's kind of over, but the McNair is still in the game and the Titans are passing on every down. Um, and so they, they get a first down at about the, the, their own 35 and first and 10 McNair drops back, has to hold the ball a little bit. And so he kind of then he looks left um, and tries to go to Dyson about 10, 12 yards down the field on the left sideline. And I think having to hold the ball, it, it let Woodson just kind of jumped the route. Uh, McAllister had the deep coverage. Again, they were kind of, I don't know if it was prevent, but with a 20 point lead in five minutes, they're kind of playing off. So I think Woodson saw McAllister had it covered over the top and just broke on the ball, got it in stride, stepped around one guy, and then basically kind of just strolled down the sideline into the end zone for the touchdown. Um, and at that point it was just, you know, they took McNair out of the game. It was kind of a total blowout. And that play too also, tied the all-time NFL record for um, interception returns for touchdowns. Woodson, I think that was the ninth of his career. So at, the, at that time, mm-hmm. he tied Ken Houston, who played a lot of years down in Washington. And then Rod would, would, would go on to break the record. But it was kind of cool that he he set the all-time record with that play as well. Yeah, very, very cool to, to be sure. Uh, and, of course, that started the four-game winning streak. A lot of people don't know just how great that 1999 defense was. Obviously, it had to be a complete – as bad as the – 
2000 offense was and kind of we remember it for a Super Bowl team, that team still outscored its opponents by a factor of two to one. Yeah. The 1999 team just had nothing offensively. And, yeah, and they, they, I'm sorry to interrupt. They lost to Jacksonville like six to three, like yes. a week or two before. And they had ne- at that point had still never beaten Jacksonville. And it was so frustrating. So um, it's kind of funny. So they, they lost to Jacksonville six, three, the last time they played him in 99 and would play him early in 2000. And that was the uh, famous was it 39, 36 game. Yep. They finally got over and, and beat Jacksonville. But um, now the 99 team too, Ray Lewis, I think 99 was the first year that he was like all pro. He'd been to the Pro Bowl before, but he was still kind of just a second, third year player. Then 99, he finished, I think, third in player of the year voting. And he was that was the first time he was first team all pro. And again, a month later or six weeks later, the Super Bowl in Atlanta, we all know what happened there. And then another 12 months after that, it, Ray is holding up the trophy, the Lombardi trophy and the, the Super Bowl MVP. I, I still sometimes look back and think how great it was to get to be part of that ride. Um, and the fact that nobody really saw it coming was part of what made it so special. And this game, again, as we talked about, really kind of kicked off that whole thing where you didn't see it coming. And all of a sudden they were going to the top and it was a lot of fun to be on, on board. Yeah. That was so much, uh, so much fun to go to football really from that moment forward. Ray Lewis, 19 tackles for loss that year was a career high, which you know, <laughs> he had a lot of highs in, in terms of things. But I remember him dominating the start of that Rams game. I also remember Chris McAllister having an interception on his fourth play in, in the league. Uh, we had a lot of uh, Starks and McAllister. That defensive backfield was really put together with draft picks over a three-year period and the Rod Woodson acquisition. So that was one of the really interesting things. That as great as that defensive backfield always was, I always also say there's a lot of free agency that went into the 2000 team. Uh, Corey Harris had already been acquired to be the dime back. And then James Trapp, who I believe was there in 99, but might not have been. He might have been a 2000 acquisition. And uh, Robert Bailey, who I believe was a 2000 acquisition, journeyman guys playing that fifth, sixth, and seventh defensive back role for the Ravens in 2000 are just, they're not remembered at all. But they deserve credit. They played the highest leverage downs for that 2000 team. And third and four came up. Those guys were on the field playing quarter defense. I think Trapp in particular, he brought a lot of attitude. He was a hard-nosed slot corner. He really, I think, I don't know whether he had that attitude when he came or if he kind of caught the attitude when he got here. Some of both. I remember him stomping on Plaxico Burris's face in a, in a Steelers game not too many years down the line. So I guess he always had a little bit of that that dog in him, but he was a, a guy who I actually thought was a great player on that team and isn't talking about too much. Yeah. Terrific. I, 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 I cite Corey Harris as having the greatest dying back season ever for the Ravens before Anthony Levine in 2018. And it's a, it's a, it's a, they've had an unbelievable run of dying backs, but they had Levine in 18 and then they had Clark in 19, both who had great seasons, but Harris and, and Chad Williams, a little bit lesser known also in 2004 had a terrific year. So. One other thing I'd like to bring up about this game, too, is the kind of the start of the, that great Titans-Ravens rivalry, which, you know, now that they're not in our division, it's much more the Steelers and whatever. But for a time there from, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, that was the perhaps the premier rivalry in the NFL. And I think a lot of it stemmed from the fact that the Titans were kind of bullies with Eddie George and McNair, and they like to be a very physical team and kind of shove around you know, other opponents and the Ravens. The, the Titans couldn't shove them around and I think they hated it. And that was always a fiercely intense physical rivalry. And the Ravens, when you look back, usually got the better end of it. There was that rough, uh, 
home playoff game with uh, yeah. Gary Anderson beating the Ravens. That was the one time where I felt like the Titans really got over. But so many times, starting with this game, the Ravens gave the Titans all they could handle. And it was basically kind of hitting the bully in the mouth and were being the bigger bully. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's, there's a couple of things that went along with that. One was them posting stuff on their video board about what Brian Billick had said the last time, you know, they were there. That was, that was, of course, Billick really thought they'd gone over the edge on that. But the other is something that um, uh, Dilfer has talked about is, is they stole his playbook and they had one of the assistant coaches or some minor person. I mean, this would have cost them a draft pick if it had happened today and they'd have found out about it. They, they'd have lost their first round pick probably for doing it, but, but they, uh, they, you know, somebody had snuck in stolen Dilfer's playbook and he, he made the point at this event that I, that I saw recently that the 20, you know, the, the, the 2000 event that it had all his checks in there and other stuff. It didn't have just the plays. It had like what his notes were that he was going to do on the play and how he was going to check out of that. And just, you know, they completely crossed the line with that. And he just in the last couple of years had actually gotten confirmation that it was somebody in the Titans organization that had actually done it. Just Is that right? Yeah. yeah. That that happened at the, the game that the Ravens won down at Adelphia late in the 2000 season, the mm-hmm. first time they ever lost at home. And they, the offense played pretty well, other than the, the late interception deal for head that almost cost them the game, but they came yeah. back and won it. But then the playoff game, the divisional playoff game back in Tennessee – the offense couldn't do anything. And nope. Dilford, that's when he said something's going on. They they basically hit one big play on offense. I think it was kind of a busted play to Shannon Sharp that took him down to into where Jamal could punch it in. But otherwise, all their offense, all their scores came on the special teams and on Ray's interception. So the Titans D actually kind of had the upper hand that day, but they still lost the game by 14 yeah, points. They sure, they sure did. I, I, of course, went to that game, one of my greatest days of football. I just, in terms of uh, being able to watch that, uh, you know, people don't really realize that, like going down 13 to 10 and what that would have meant at that point in the fourth quarter. And Del Greco lined up to, to kick. He'd already missed three times that day, including I may be including one that was pr- prior to a penalty. And then he still missed again, I believe. I so, so right. he, he, he lined up to kick it. Keith Washington got in, blocked his second field goal, which has never otherwise happened in a Ravens game. Somebody's blocked two field goals in the same game. It popped up in the air. Rod Woodson, again, a key player in this was told, you know, don't touch that ball. And so all the Ravens you can see are making this safe motion, like an umpire, like leave it alone, leave it alone, leave it alone. It, it'll, um, uh, it, it, it you know you, if you touch it then then it can it can be a fumble kind of thing. Well, anyway, he wasn't having any of that, and there'd already been a previous one where he, we let the ball let the ball go, but he but he but he caught the ball in the air, and immediately the Ravens immediately turned around and looked for a block, and that that really helped. Uh, who got the big block on Wycheck on, on that play? I, 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 we'll talk about this on another episode. But the point is that I'm sure <laughs> that, that 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 was a. It was just a seminal moment, and, and it was a 10-point turnaround. And I, I've always been a little surprised that that play is not looked at with the same reverence that the Lewis interception is. For whatever reason, the Ray Lewis interception is thought to be a bigger deal. It wasn't. It wasn't even close, honestly. <laughs> and, you know, no, terms- but I, I hear what you're saying in the course of the game, but sometimes, you know, I think it, it's kind of kickers and special teams are always looked at as a little suspect. And when you've got, you know, a Hall of Famer like Ray Lewis taking it away from – Eddie George, George, his arch rival on a pass thrown by Steve McNair. It's just really a, you know, big names. It's it's an NFL films moment for sure. All right. We'll close this by saying the 2000 team uh, went from there. uh, And, you know, it's appropriate that the bullies from Baltimore is premiering tonight. The bullies of Baltimore. Are are you looking forward to anything about this in particular? 
<laughs> like everything. It's like, I, I can't wait to see it. I, I, I know I might cry. Like when I see goose, I have to tell you, but just, um, you know, you, you, Titans would play the, um, the clips of Billick up on the board and Shannon Sharp had the greatest line of all time. When he said, whatever they said, we said, we said it. And like, that was him <laughs> on the field before that game. And I think that summed up that team and, and Shannon's like, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll talk and we'll own it and then we'll back it up. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of a lot of those memories of that team. Well, me too. Jamie, appreciate having you on for this. It's just the kind of episode we were looking to have for for this segment. Really appreciate it. It's starting off very strong with a with a with a play like this and uh, great theme to it. And uh, I think you explained it very well, articulated it very well. Uh, anything else you want to plug before we get off here? Here, nope. Just uh, I appreciate all you do. It's all your content is fantastic, and um, keep it up. I love it. All right, appreciate that, Jamie. Of course, uh, other folks out there, if you want to be on a that one play. You just heard what we're looking for. And and honestly, uh, you don't have to be as good as Jamie. I'll just I'll just say that. Just give us something where it's your point of view on a particular play in Ravens history. I'll fill in some of the historical stuff just like you like you heard here. You remember what was important about that play to you, whether it made the player your favorite player, whether you know you bought his jersey, whatever it might have been. Uh you had a special experience with somebody special to you, all that is cool. Uh but anyway, you be you. Hit me up with it. DMs are always open on Twitter. Love to hear from you. Jamie, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.